Pastor Xavier Reese and the unconditional free offer of salvation. The scriptures repeatedly teach the fact that God desires all men to be saved. Nowhere in the Bible, not in one place in the whole of scripture, is there any indication that God's love and salvation are limited to the select few. God gave His Son for the whole world. The world. Whosoever. Means anyone. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This simple truth of Romans 10, 12, and 13 clearly doesn't put any limitation on who is offered salvation. But when it comes to the themes of election and predestination, you'd be hard-pressed to find a doctrine that elicits more disagreement among the church. However, Pastor Xavier seeks out the simple truth in the continuation of our series in the book of Romans with today's study. Let's listen. One of the biblical doctrines that have, been, have divided the church since the 16th century is the doctrine of salvation under the two camps known as Calvinism and Arminianism. And the basic argument, for the sake of it, is that Calvinism teaches eternal security, that you're saved by God's decrees of predestination and election, and you cannot walk away. And really, Armenians, which we're not, that's two extremes. But the other side of it is, well, we believe you abide in Christ. You can be assured of your salvation, abiding in Christ Jesus, okay? And now... What I'm going to do is look at the second point of Calvinism as we go through here so you understand it. Now, it did not originate with John Calvin, but it originated with Augustinian, the Catholic priest, okay, the Catholic Church. That's where its origins are. B.B. Warfield, you know that name as one of the greatest authority of biblical scholarship. He says, the system of doctrine taught by Calvin is just the Augustinianism common to the whole body of the reformers. Reformed theology, Calvinism, same animal, Okay. Let me give you some uh, quotes of very godly men that give a good balance. A.W. Tozer, if you've ever read anything on him, you know he's an excellent godly man. He says, both of these men, speaking of Calvin and Arminius, were wrong in what they denied and right in what they affirmed. In other words, two extremes. Philip F. Congdon writes, quote, a tulip is a beautiful flower, but bad theology. I like that one. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Those are the five. Tulip, as it's known. Calvinists teach eternal security based on predestination and election, not man's free will, unable to walk away from God once you're saved. At Calvary Chapel Pasadena, we believe we are assured of our salvation. That's the word that is found in the Bible, assured. The word security is not found. By grace through faith, abiding in Christ, being transformed from day to day, from glory to glory. So since we're here in chapter 8 of Romans, I want to examine the second point of Calvinism using verses 29 and 28 and see if it holds water through the whole of Scripture. Okay? Let me read here, and I'll give you the three 
the visions that we're going to look at. Verse 29 and 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, those he also called, whom he called, those he also justified, whom he justified, those he also glorified. So there's so what Paul here, the context of chapter 8 too, is that we're the sons of God and we're waiting to be revealed. When Jesus reveals, we're going to be just like him. He's looking all the way to the end. So it's no big deal for God to know when you're going to be saved, who's going to be saved, and to see them completely perfected because he knows all things. He sees the end from the beginning, right? No big deal. But the text is not teaching that only a few select few were chosen by decree at the exclusion of free will and that they're the only ones going to be in heaven. That's crazy, all right? So let me give you the three divisions. We're going to look at first the doctrine of unconditional election, what it teaches, okay? So we don't misrepresent Calvinists. We're going to tell them what they teach, okay? Secondly, the doctrine of unconditional election examined to the scriptures because the scriptures are the standard, right? And then third, we'll finish with the doctrine of unconditional election understood in view of foreknowledge and predestination. Those are the key things. Let's begin with the teaching here of unconditional election. Now, the canons of Dort where the controversy between Calvinism and Arminianism took place, stated the teaching as follows. First, quote, The unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world, he has out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chosen from the whole human race a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ. That's what they teach. This statement, in and of itself, is not unbiblical. It can be supported by choosing certain scriptures. The problem is that this statement is understood to be true based on John Calvin's definition of total depravity. It's the second point, which builds off the first point. And if the first point of total depravity is not biblical, then the second one's going to be off. You understand? Total depravity, according to Calvin, means that man has no free will nor can he understand nor respond to the gospel unless he or she is unconditionally elected. That's where they deviate. That's where they're wrong, okay? Because we don't find that in Scripture. This is circular reasoning. The first is based on the second. The second is justified by the first. It's like a fossil record. You get the fossil, you date the fossil by the sediment, and then you date the sediment by the fossil. Where do you get your beginning date? It's circular reasoning, Okay? But also the definition of the second point, unconditional election, is based on an unbiblical understanding of God's sovereignty and predestination. Once a person merely accepts the Calvinistic view of God's sovereignty and predestination, that nothing happens apart from God's divine decrees, unconditional election as a doctrine is accepted. And that's the key, the decrees of God. So they say nothing can happen except for by the decrees of God. So they even accuse God of being the author of sin, and I'll show you that as we go along, okay? Which is the Bible doesn't teach. Calvin himself saw the basic problem of a God of love choosing of so few, but he offers no satisfactory explanation of it. He simply states, quote, and I'm quoting him, that is a question for which I have no answer. Well, we're supposed to have answers. First Peter 3.15 tells us that. To his sharp critics, Calvin struck back with pleading, Augustinian authority. In other words, Calvin knew that what he's teaching is theology of Augustine. So he just put it back on Augustine rather than giving justification and reason for it. Now, the doctrine of unconditional election is for all purposes the heart of Calvinism. 
Herman Hankel again says, quote, no man can claim over ever to be either Calvinistic or Reformed without a firm and abiding commitment to this precious truth. What? Unconditional election. R.C. Sproul, he's the golden calf of Calvinism. One of the leading Calvinists of our day says, he fears that the term can be misleading and grossly abused. In fairness to Calvinists, not all Calvinists agree in this doctrine, this third point, limited atonement. Okay? So that's where you have 2.3.4 point. Okay? They pick and choose. No, it's got to be all or nothing. Now, the witnesses of unconditional election, let me give you some. Some of these even claim to be Calvinists. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said, All true theology is summed up in these two short sentences. Salvation is all of the grace of God. Damnation is all of the will of man. Now, a true Calvinist cannot allow you free will. Spurgeon did. He excluded limited atonement, see? And also irresistible grace. Because he says a person can resist. A true Calvinist believes you can't resist grace. If God has called you to be saved, there's nothing you can do about it. Huh? Then why preach? Why make the petition? Spurgeon didn't believe in limited atonement, the third point of Calvinism. So he ascribed free will to man for his own damnation, which is biblical. If you end up in hell, it's not because God sent you there. It's because you rejected the gospel. Now, R.C. Sproul writes, quote, The term election refers specifically to one aspect of divine predestination, God's choosing of certain individuals to be saved, but making election conditional upon something that man does. Even if what he does is simply to repent and believe in the gospel, God's grace is seriously compromised then. Where's this taught in Scripture? Nowhere. Nowhere. Where in Scripture is it taught that man cannot believe the gospel unless God intervenes sovereignly to regenerate the elect, even to the extent that at times without their own knowing or having faith in Christ? So in other words, because God decreed you to be saved, you don't have to believe, you don't even have to hear the gospel. You're going to be in heaven whether you like it or not. That's what the decrees of Calvinism mean. So really then, we should teach that we're saved by the decrees of God, not by grace or faith. You see what I mean? It's unbiblical. Arthur Pink's another Calvinist. He says, to deny God for knowledge is to deny omniscience. But we must go further. Not only did his omniscient I see Adam eating of the forbidden fruit, but he decreed beforehand that he should do so. So Pink and many Calvinists ascribe to God the decree of the fall. In other words, God decreed that Adam would sin and therefore they ascribe the sin of the fall to God. And they don't have any problem saying that. Well, that's crazy. If, if, if I have you do something evil, then how can I hold you responsible for the evil that I made you do? I would be unjust. It would be wrong. The Bible never teaches that God is the author of the fall of man. Never. The failure of Calvinists is to distort the sovereignty of God. Teaching that God sovereignly decreed all things, therefore foreknows all things, because he decreed them, making his foreknowledge dependent on his decrees, and therefore making God's omniscience limited. Foreknowledge is beforehand. Omniscience is all knowledge. Okay? And the proclamation of it 
often is known as in prophecy or different things. See, you have to make a distinction between the attributes. God knows all things, not because he has decreed them, but because he is omniscient, all-knowing. God knows all things before they take place, not because he decreed them, but because he has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is beforehand. Sovereignty means you do as you will, whenever you will, and you never violate your holiness. And we don't understand foreknowledge to its full end. If we did, then we'd be God. We don't have that attribute. Otherwise, you must conclude, like Calvin, that as God unconditionally elected some to damnation, he equally elected others for damnation, and that he decreed all the evil of the world. I can't agree with that. There's no way. And we'll show you that in the scripture. Decrees of God are sure when it comes to events. The first coming, the second coming, the crucifixion, the Antichrist, those are going to happen. But God never decrees events forcing people to do evil. Prophecy is simply saying what's going to happen before it happens because God understands that. Let me give you a good example. Judas Iscariot, okay? He betrayed Jesus. Now, according to Calvinists, God decreed it. It couldn't be altered. But if God decreed it, that means with a decree was the evil to betray the son. And if God decreed Judas to betray the son, how could God turn around and hold Judas responsible for the betrayal? It's unjust. It's unbiblical. But God, knowing that Judas is scared, was going to betray the son, he declared it beforehand. So when it happened, it was evidence that he did. And therefore, he could hold Judas completely responsible for his actions because he had a free will to do good or evil. Simple. Now, therefore, faith is not even necessary because if you are elected, you cannot resist the grace of God, the fourth point. So in other words, you don't even have to hear the gospel. You don't even have to believe. If you are decreed by predestination, you will be in heaven. Like it or not, you're going to heaven. Which begs the question, then why preach? Why, why the great commission of the gospel? It's useless. Why should we go? If they're going to be saved, why go? Let's save time and money. Simple. Now, the use of words are elect, elected, election, along with these words. The word appears 27 times in the Bible. The term is used for Israel. The term is used for a lady, which is the church in, in, in uh, 2 John 1.13. The term is used for the church alone, and it's used for Israel and the church. It depends on the context, so you have to look at the context. It is used also for angels in 1 Timothy 5.21. If you examine all the places the term appears, not once is the term ever used to indicate a select group who alone have been predestined to be saved. Never, not one. Listen to Dr. Ironside. Nowhere in the Bible are people ever predestined to go to hell, and nowhere are people simply predestined to go to heaven. Look it up and see. Predestination is always to some special place of blessing. The word elect appears four times in the Old Testament. Once for the Messiah, three times for Israel in the book of Isaiah. The word appears in the New Testament, elected, 17 times. 
election six times, elects three times, elected once. When you sift through the 27 passages, one is left with only five pertaining to general subject of election. In Romans, Thessalonians, and Peter. All of them deal with election to service and blessing, not salvation. Calvinism teaches God imposes his sovereign will to override the free will of man to choose either way, man having no choice. Now, if you don't have a choice, how can I hold you responsible for the choice you made? If I did that, you would say I'm unfair, and rightly so. How much more for God? God always gives a reason for saving some and damning others, right? To Isaiah, he says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as red as crimson, the white as snow. Isaiah 118, come, let's reason. Now, if, he, if, he, if it were decreed, then why reason? There's no need for reason, right? There's no reason for appeal. Why would he cast them to repent if they're elected? They wouldn't need to, right? That's what the Calvinists say. God tells Israel that he punishes Israel for the wickedness of their doing in Deuteronomy 28, 20 and many other passages. If they were elected to damnation, then they would have to be elected for the wickedness they did based on God's decrees. Yet he punishes them for what they what he made them do. So it contradicts scripture. So you can't have it both ways. If God decreed them for destruction, then you have to say that God decreed the evil also. And you make God one with their sin. The doctrine of unconditional election teaches a misrepresentation of God. Now, the second point is the doctrine of unconditional election, and we want to examine it to the scriptures, because this is what they believe. Now, let's, how does that bear up to the scriptures? Exodus 33, 19, God told Moses, I will make all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim my name before the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will be merciful or compassionate on whom I will have compassion. That verse right there is often misused and misunderstood. The verse is not teaching that God will be gracious and merciful to some and not to others. That's not what it's teaching. The verse is merely stating that grace and mercy are by the initiative of God. He's the one that initiates grace and mercy, okay? In other words, no one can demand God to be gracious or merciful to them, nor is he under the obligation to any person. Now, God loves the whole world. He gave his son, John 3, 16, 1 John 2, 2. God gave his son for the whole world. Salvation is extended by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Not by works of righteousness, but by the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. Titus 3, 5 says, Nowhere in the Bible, not in one place in the whole of Scripture, is there any indication that God's love and salvation are limited to the select few. The world, whosoever, means anyone. Not the chosen frozen, The scriptures repeatedly teach the fact that God desires all men to be saved. That includes women. Exodus 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. 
Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? In fact, the context is that the wicked repent from their evil, and he will deliver them and save them. And if the righteous turn from his righteousness, then he will die in his sin. There's a choice for both of them. The saved can go away from God, and those who are away from God can come to God. It's a choice. You remember John in, in John 1.29, the next day, Jesus was coming towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of what? The few? The chosen frozen? The sins of the world. The word never means elect. Here's the dishonesty of Calvinists. Every time they find the word world or whosoever, they insert the word elect. That's dishonest. The world means everybody. It doesn't mean the few. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, and 6, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He died for all, but not all will be saved because not all will accept. It's a choice. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The scriptures expressly state that anyone can come to God and be saved. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whosoever confess me before man, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. Whosoever. How do you get elect? John eleven twenty six. Jesus said again, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Romans ten thirteen. Paul says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whosoever. How do you get elect out of it? The word, whosoever, whoever, are found 183 times in 163 verses in the Bible. Whosoever means whosoever. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. It's whosoever. It never means elect or the few. Not once in these 183 appearances does the word mean anything except whoever. You can't put elect in those words, substitute them. It's impossible. It's dishonest. Now, the scriptures equally teach that not all will be saved, as I said. Not because they are elected to damnation, but because they refuse to repent from their sins to be saved. Cain chose not to repent. Genesis 4, 17. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, and you shall rule over it. Cain decided not to repent. God gave him a chance to repent. Now, if God didn't give him a chance to repent to judge them, then God would be unfair, right? But God gave him. God warned them. God warned Adam and Eve, don't eat. And they did. And he brought the consequences. There are many others that we can mention. But a real simple one is the two thieves on the cross in Luke 23, 42 through 43. You have two thieves on the cross, Jesus in the middle. Jesus said to the one, the one said to Jesus first, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, and surely I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. One chose to trust Christ, the other one did not. Are you going to tell me that God predestined the one to hell without ever giving him a chance? then you have to accuse Jesus of being unjust and unfair. 
The only biblical condition for salvation is repentance and it is available to all mankind, not unconditional election, which is available only to the chosen frozen, the select few. The doctrine of unconditional election examined to the scriptures is rejected. You have to read into it. You have to do violence to the context. Pastor Xavier Reese, applying scripture's sound, simple truths to the age-old debate between the Calvinist and the Arminian. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's much more to come next time, but if you'd like a copy of today's study on CD, ask for Predestination and Election. It's available for only $4. This CD contains the complete message as it was originally delivered, including everything we didn't have time to feature on the air. So once again, the title to ask for is Predestination and Election. Get yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 